Keeping a family milk cow or having a home dairy on the homestead is something I have long considered because grass-fed organic raw milk at the store, and this depends on where you live. In some states, you can't even legally purchase raw milk. Now, we live in Washington state where you can purchase raw milk, but it's harder to find. A lot of grocery stores don't carry it. So I have to travel quite a ways to a local co-op in order to find raw milk. And you're also going to be paying more for that wonderfulness. So a gallon of organic grass-fed raw milk where I live goes about 12 bucks a gallon. And I can get regular organic grass-fed vat pasteurized milk that is non-homogenized, so it still has the cream on the top. I can get that at about seven bucks a gallon. But I have to tell you, dreams of cream, farmer's cheese, cream cheese, buttermilk, glass jars of creamy white milk lined up on the counter, all from my own barnyard. Okay, that is kind of the stuff a homesteader's dreams are made of. But we have not yet embarked on this venture. We do raise all of our own meat, so we have a herd of beef cattle which you'll hear more about as we get into today's episode. But milking a family cow, committing to do it every day, has really held me back. And that's why I brought on, I am so excited, one of the presenters from this year's 2018 Modern Homesteading Summit. And you guys, it starts, it's only, it's barely a week away, Sunday, June 10th. 2018 is when it all starts. And you can now, I know I've been teasing you on the podcast for weeks now, but you can go and register and get your seat. So to get the link to go sign up and register, hop on over to today's podcast episode. And you can find that by going to melissaknorris.com slash 144, because this is episode number 144. And you will see the links there to register. It's completely free. It's an online virtual summit. So what that means is starting Sunday, June 10th, four presentations, four videos will go up at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Those four videos will be up for 24 hours. So for those 24 hours, you can go and watch those four video presentations for free, anytime in that 24 hours. Then the next day, 24 hours later, so again at Monday, 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, those four video presentations will come down and four new ones will go up. And we will repeat this process for seven days. And on the seventh day, we'll actually have five video presentations. There's over 27 presentations. What's really awesome about these presentations is that there's over 27 experienced homesteaders. Many of them, you're getting to hear parts of their story here on the podcast. And for the majority of the presentations, you are being shown hands-on tutorials, walking you through actually step-by-step how to do all of this stuff. And we have got, oh my goodness, you guys, some amazing presentations. We have got fermenting sourdough, vertical gardening, hydroponic gardening, 
preserving. We've got canning meat, water bath canning, root cellaring, how to make Gouda cheese. Those are, that's just a smidgen, a smidgen of the tutorials and presentations that we have for you. And it's all completely free. I know. It's pretty amazing. I am so excited because of course I'm the host. So I got to go through all of the video presentations ahead of time because I had to do the intros and then get everything loaded and ready to go. So I'm totally spoiled because I've got to see them all and they are so awesome. I cannot wait to share this with you guys. So go and register because you have to register in order to get the links for each day in order to watch the presentations. Plus, just by registering, there are some free bonus goodies. There's three bonus gifts that you are going to want to snag. I already have people who just from the bonus gifts alone are starting to implement these things on their homestead and are so excited. Now, like I said, the entire presentation, the entire homesteading summit, you can watch absolutely for free. So when you go and register, after you're registered, a page will pop up and you do have the option to purchase the summit. So if you know that you're not going to be able to watch four to five videos every single day for seven days in a row, and or that you're going to want to be able to go back and watch these presentations and tutorials when you are beginning to implement it. A lot of times I'll watch something just so I can watch the whole process all the way through, get my supplies, know what I'm in for. And then when I get everything that I need to do it, I want to bring that video back up and have it going as I'm literally doing it with me step by step by step, especially when it's something new. So that is an option. And for those who decide to purchase the summit, there's a really big early bird discount that's going down right now. And that is until June 9th. And then the price goes up. So you want to get registered as soon as possible. And then if you do want to purchase it, you're going to want to do that right when you register to get the absolutely best price. Plus, there's over $400 worth of bonuses, including a whole bunch of free stuff that you only will get when you purchase the summit. Okay, so let's, without further ado, get to today's podcast episode because it is a wonderful one. So you are listening to Keeping a Family Milk Cow, Eight Things You Need to Know, which is episode number 144 of the Pioneering Today podcast with me, your host, Melissa K. Norris. And this is the podcast where we teach families how to grow, preserve, and cook their own food using old-fashioned skill sets and wisdom to create a natural, self-sufficient home with or without the full-on homestead. Okay, guys, you are in for a treat, and I promise I will try not to fangirl out too much, but today's guest on the podcast... I have been following since I think before I even started blogging and since she has become a friend, which has been really fun and I still just adore her stuff. And that is Miss Jill Winger of the Prairie Homestead. Jill, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. How are you? I'm so excited to be here. I'm good. I'm so excited to have you on. And one of the reasons I'm so excited is because we are going to be talking about an area that I do not have any homestead experience in whatsoever. And so I'm really excited to pick your brain because I got a ton of questions because I have been talking to my husband and I almost have him 
almost have them convinced to let us train and turn one of our beef cow mamas into a dairy cow. As long as he says yes, he's in the planning stages, which I'm pretty sure means it's going to be a yes, because he was telling me his idea of creating a milking pin and a stanchion and stuff and asking like, well, do you think this would work? And I'm like, oh, oh my goodness. Like he's bringing this up on his own. I'm so excited. <laughs> That's a good sign. I like it. Yeah, same here. So I'm really excited to talk about obviously home dairy and dairy cows, because part of the reason I have really held off, honestly, is not just committing to doing daily milking. Because I know once you have a milk car and you start milking, you can't just skip a day. You've got to milk them. And to the sheer volume of the milk and wondering if I really, you know, can keep up with all of it and how much is it going to be. Just kind of the unknown, but kind of apprehensive about adding that workload in. So I would love to talk about those aspects of it with you today to kind of give a really realistic, what does it take and how much are you dealing with and how you deal with it on your guys' homestead? Because your family is very similar in size to mine. Your kids are younger. I only have two kids. My son just turned 13. He hasn't quite hit that full teenage eating yet where he would go through a lot of milk. But we have a smaller family compared to most. So how much are you typically getting out of a milking when you're milking? Yeah, that's a great question. So it really depends. Well, it depends partially on the animal, but it depends on your milking schedule, which I think that is a really important aspect to take into consideration when you are dreaming about this home dairy idea. So I call my milking method the lazy method. There's this idea that, oh my gosh, if you have a dairy animal, you can never leave your house and you're doing chores without fail twice a day. And it's just brutal. That's definitely a pattern that you can take, and that's probably the more traditional pattern where you have your dairy animal, they have their baby, you take the baby away, feed it a bottle, and then you milk twice a day for the rest of your life. But we (laughs) actually do what I call share milking. And so when we share milk, we leave the baby, whether it's a goat or a calf, on their mom for 12 hours. So they go out in the day and they graze and they play in the sun. And then at night, we will put the baby in a pen with some hay in in a water bucket. And then the udder will fill up overnight. And then we go out first thing in the morning and milk. And then the baby goes back with the mom for the rest of the day. So if you use the share milking plan, you're only going to be milking one time a day. You only have half of the commitment that you would have had prior. And I'm telling you all this story in a roundabout way to answer your question about how much. So if we're milking once a day, like with our cow, we get about one and a half to two gallons per milking. So, you know, one and a half to two gallons in the morning. And then if you are doing it again in the evening, it'd be another one and a half to two gallons. So you're looking at three to four gallons a day, I think, from your average cow. That's a lot of milk. It is. Yeah. And the share milking helps reduce that, cuts it in half, obviously, but still two gallons a day. That's a lot. Yeah. When you're doing the shared method, I do have one question. So when the first calf, in in reference to dairy cows, we don't have goats, so I, but we do have cattle. So when they first calf, when that baby is a newborn, do you immediately start this? Or do you give them like, say, two weeks, three weeks where they're with mom 24-7 nursing before you start doing the shared milking? Or what's that timeline like? I like to leave, I do this with our goats as well. We used to have goats, now we just have the cows, but I would leave them together for, one, for about two weeks just to give the baby and the mom time to bond. And the other thing is you want the colostrum to come in and then kind of flush out. 
The colostrum, for those of you who aren't familiar, is the first milk, and it's really sticky and thick and really golden yellow, and it contains all the good stuff that that calf needs. And it's not as yummy for humans to drink. Like You can drink it. It's just not as good. Most people skip the colostrum. And so, yeah, I let all of that, it'll, it'll be gone in a few days, but I like to make sure they get all the colostrum. They have lots of bonding time. And then about two weeks later, I'll start the share milking process. Okay. And then as that baby, I guess, so as the baby grows, obviously it's eating more hay, but I was just curious if you noticed, say the calf is three to four weeks old versus two months old, because typically ours are just out in the pasture. And so when they have their calves right now, they're just, they're beef cattle. We have Hereford, the white faced and brown Hereford and some black Angus in our herd right now, which I know is not a typical dairy breed and we wouldn't get quite as much milk, but we have the animals. (laughs) They're established and everything like that. And one of them has been tame enough that when she has her calf, she has actually let us milk her a little bit. We had a calf exactly what you were talking about actually this past spring, that it was a hard birth. It was her first calf and he did not want to stand up for the first 24 hours. And so we knew he hadn't gotten any colostrum in him. And that's like the big thing. We want him up and, you know, nursing to get that colostrum as soon as possible after they have him. So we pinned him up next to the house because it was getting nighttime and she'd had it in the morning and he hadn't stood up yet. And he was just really weak. We were getting really concerned actually. And so we brought him up to the house and put her in a pin with the baby. And then we actually physically held the baby up to her teeth so that it could nurse. It didn't have enough strength to stand up. And thank the good Lord, there was a lot of praying going on for real. And he was able to nurse. And so we kept doing that every so often we would go out and within 48 hours, he was fine. He was nursing on his own, but because we had the baby with us and we had him up to her teeth, she actually let us milk her a little bit. That, that following week. And so we were thinking of taming her into a milk cow and that just didn't happen last year, but for this year, but do you notice, sorry, long story short to ask this question, do you notice say the calf's, you know, three to four weeks old and then at two months old, is there a big difference in how much milk you're getting or does it just pretty consistently stay the same? I'm trying to remember if I noticed a huge difference. The one thing I will mention, and it would probably wouldn't be as prevalent in a beef breed, but like with our very mature milk cow, she's, I think, seven or eight this year, which is hard to believe, but her bag is really big. She's had lots of calves, had lots of calves on her. So she has this big udder. And when she has, you know, one little newborn calf who's not drinking as much, I sometimes I do have to help her out within those first two weeks of after birth because she has such a huge quantity and a calf can't drink that much. And I just don't want her to get mastitis or to her gorge. So I will help milk. And again, I don't usually drink it at that point because it's got a lot of colostrum in it. I will just help her out a little bit. And then, you know, within a couple weeks, the calf is drinking more and the udder stays more comfortably full instead of overly full. But as far as supply and demand, I guess I haven't noticed a huge difference because, you know, the cow really does adjust to what the calf needs. So if they're drinking a little bit, they'll produce that amount of milk. And we've even had times where we've had two to three calves, like orphans on our main milk cow, because she produces so much. Oh, and wow. her body, because we're feeding her properly. Her body will adjust and produce more milk to accommodate those extra babies. Well, and that's great that she'll accept them because I know some of them won't. <laughs> some won't even accept their own sometimes, unfortunately, but she's a really good cow. We're very fortunate. Like, because like you said, not all of them will do that, but she doesn't, I mean, she's even let goats nurse off of her before. (laughs) She's just a a cool old cow. (laughs) No, that is amazing. That's awesome. 
So I'm thinking, you know, I get one and a half to two gallons of milk a day and I'm like, wow, that's a lot. So if you start to get backed up, like you're not able to use it all, then do you just, because the calf is on or then you'll just kind of skip a day and maybe do an, just leave the calf with her 24 hours until you're ready to milk again. Do you do that? Or do you find that you really do go through that amount of milk that much every single day? Yeah, I like to leave the calf on. And honestly, I'll be, I'm being for transparent here, slightly embarrassing. I haven't milked our cow very much this spring. We've had a lot of traveling. I've been working on a cookbook. I've got a lot of projects and I've just been, you know what? I'm like, I'm going to let the calf have the milk this, this season. And so, <laughs> yeah, it's my, I guess, lazy or, or maxed out. I don't know what it is, but yeah, you can totally do that. And that is a benefit because I have had periods where we haven't had a calf on and I have been milking, you know, solely just me and Mm -hmm. it's tough. I mean, the fridge fills up quickly and unless you're selling the milk, which that's not legal everywhere, but unless you're selling the milk or you have a hog that you can give the excess to, it's actually a stress to be like, what do I do with all this milk? I just don't want to dump it out on the ground. So, you know, you're milking and you're getting this supply of milk every day. So what is that? And I love this because this is realistic. And that's really what I'm after because we're all, you know, and we can get romanticized versions about anything in life, but especially with homesteading, because having your own milk supply and getting to make cheese, that is awesome. But I also know there's a reality side of it. And so I'm so glad that we're talking about this in real life, reality wise. So you're getting this amount of milk. Obviously, you can just drink the milk and use it in baking and that type of thing. But I'm assuming that you've got different ways to use it up. Typically, are you making a lot of cheese? Are you pasteurizing it? Are you doing it raw? Are you separating the cream and then using that into butter? Or what's your, I guess, would be your average or normal routine, the ways that you work with the milk? Mm -hmm. My pattern is I skim the cream pretty much off of everything. And a little side note here, since we have talked about sugar milking so much, often with a lot of cows, not all of them, but they're super smart. And they know that you're milking them, they're letting their milk down, you're filling your bucket, but they know their calf is in the pin around the corner. So they will actually save back what is called the hind milk. So there's the fore milk, like before, and then the hind milk, like hind leg. So before and after, and they'll save that hind milk back. So you'll be milking and the udder will feel empty. And then you let that calf half in with the the cow and all of a sudden that next letdown of milk will come and it'll have milk dribbling out its mouth. But that (laughs) milk has the most cream. It's the richest. So I've noticed that when we are share milking, I don't get as much cream as I would if I was milking twice a day. A little bit of a bummer. Like I'm still getting several inches on each gallon, but not like those eight inch cream lines that we all So that's just something to keep in mind. But what I'll do is I let the milk sit in the refrigerator for 24 hours. That lets the cream rise to the top. I skim it off with a ladle and put it in a separate jar. Then the milk that's left is still a thousand times better than the skim milk at the store, mm-hmm. even though it's technically could be called skimmed milk. And then we drink that, you know, we use it in, in recipes. I will make that milk into yogurt. I like to make like a gallon of yogurt at a time or more. So that'll go into yogurt that can be made into mozzarella. That's one of my favorite, just easy cheeses to make that'll use up two or three gallons at a time. Yeah, that's kind of my pattern. And I've tried hard cheeses. I've tried the more advanced stuff. It's kind of beyond my experience level at this point, And I haven't had the time to really invest into mastering that. So I just stick with the basics. The buttermilk, you can make easily sour cream, yogurt, ice cream, of course, butter, as much butter as possible. When we have leftover beyond that, or if I have whey, 
left over from making cheese, I will often give it to the chickens or if we have pigs, I will feed it to them. Or if I'm really, really maxed out, I'll even dilute it way down and just put it in the yard as a fertilizer. There's ways to use it up. You just have to be a little creative. Okay. Well, I love that. And that I'm so intrigued by the hard cheeses. Like that is on my homesteading bucket list to get to one of these days. <laughs> but the other stuff is really good. So you, you don't pasteurize. You guys just use raw milk then. You just use it. You don't bother pasteurizing it for just drinking. Obviously, if you're making yogurt, you're sometimes, depending upon the recipe and the culture you have, you'll heat it up. And of course, with mozzarella, you're going to be heating it. But for your, just your regular stuff, then you don't pasteurize it. Correct. That's kind of why we were interested in a milk cow in the first place, because I had done a lot of reading and research on raw milk. I decided that I liked the idea of the health benefits it had. And at that point in time, we live in Wyoming and it was very illegal to purchase raw milk. So it was like, well, milk cow or nothing. So yeah, it's a personal decision. You can get a pasteurizer and go that route if you like. We prefer it raw. I do strain it and we keep it cold. We keep it clean. So I am very careful with how we handle it, but I really love raw milk. I'm a huge fan. I am too. And we don't, we live in Washington state, so we can purchase raw milk here. And of course it is more expensive than the non-pasteurized route, but I would be following in your footsteps when we get our dairy cow and going raw milk. And, you know, mainly my father grew up and they didn't have a refrigerator. They didn't have electricity. They actually didn't even have, they had a pump in the kitchen, a hand pump and then an outhouse. And that was how my grandma did everything was with raw milk. They actually had a little creek, little water area dug out into the side of a hill because it stayed cool there. So it was kind of like a root cellar, but there was actually kind of like a slash between a root cellar and a spring house. And that's where they would store the milk. But it was a large family. And so they were going through their milk a lot. But I'm with you. I think everybody, of course, has to do their research. And with raw milk, there are got to be very clean. And of course, everything has its measure the risk, but I'm with you and going the raw milk route as well as it's not as much work because then you don't have to heat everything and then wait for it to cool and then, you know, rebottle it and that type of thing too. Yes. And you know, I love that. I like to say, and I'm sure there is limitations on this, but I like to say that raw milk really doesn't go bad. It just changes forms, which I'm sure it can go bad eventually, but you know, it goes, it's a living food. So it's, the sweet milk and then it clavers and then you can take the whey and the whey I know it always lasts in the fridge a long time. So it's just cool how you can just, it keeps giving and giving and just so many options you can do when you do keep it raw. Yeah. And especially when it's from your own cow, because I know with our own animals, I know they're not diseased. They're been taking really good care of. And I think when you have a really healthy animal that those risks are lowered a lot more than trying to do raw milk from a commercially raised farm. That's when I would have concern personally. Absolutely. I have people email me questions. Well, aren't you, aren't you scared? Aren't you nervous? And it is, there's risk in anything you put in your mouth. You know, how many stories have we heard of fast food chains, you know, getting people really sick. So I mean, there's always a risk, but. So I am so glad that you came on here and we had this conversation because I really feel that doing it that way, the way that you've presented to us is going to be so much easier than being, like you said, married to the cow. Cause that's really what's helped really stop me. Plus I thought like, if I get this over glutton of all of these gallons and gallons of milk, like what am I going to do? But as long as the calf is still nursing and able to be on your cow, then you don't have to deal with it. And I also like that you were really honest and in the transparency part about how it's seasonal, like this season, you're just really not milking a whole lot, but other times when life avails, 
then you can. So thank you for your honesty. That makes me feel a lot better because there are some days when I don't feel very homesteady. <laughs> and so I'm so glad that there's. <laughs> Get it. <laughs> yes. Even homestead bloggers have those days. Actually, we have a lot of those days, I'd say. So. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing your expertise and coming on and continuing to share all of your wonderful work on your blog. I really do enjoy getting your newsletter and getting over to see what's going on at the Prairie Homestead every week. Yeah, my pleasure. Okay, guys, I hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. I learned a ton. I loved the real honest and authenticity that Jill shared with us. And if you want to catch Jill's presentation in the Modern Homesteading Summit, make sure you go over there and get yourself registered because Jill is going to be talking about in her presentation everything you need to know about starting a home dairy, including which home dairy animal is right for you. So she really lays out the pros and cons of using a goat as your home dairy or cows or both. So today's verse of the week, it's actually two verses, and it's from Romans chapter 14, verses 12 and 13, and this is from the Amplified Translation. And so each of us shall give an account of himself, give an answer in reference to judgment to God. Then let us no more criticize and blame and pass judgment on one another, but rather decide and endeavor never to put a stumbling block or an obstacle, or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Now, I realize that this Bible verse is really talking about our walk with the Lord and other fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but I also think it has implications to those of us who are living this self-sufficiency journey, who are modern homesteads, and truthfully, regardless if you are a Christian or not, I still think that it really applies to our lives. And that is within homesteading. And that's one of the beautiful things. If you're registered for the homesteading summit that you're going to see when you visit all 27 plus of these homesteaders and you go into their kitchens or their barnyards or their gardens is every homestead is different. We all come at things a little bit differently, but all of us are working with what we have right here and right now. And I don't think that there's really any wrong or right way to homestead. I think that it's just using exactly what you've got right now and not waiting for that perfect homestead or when circumstances are perfect to get started. And even within homesteaders, which I have to say, as far as a group of people goes, homesteaders are some of the most open-handed and willing to share people that I have ever met. I have learned so much from the kindness of others, have shortened the mistakes that I would make because I make mistakes right here and right now on our homestead, but I know I would make a lot more if I didn't have the knowledge and the skill sets of others. But we can also kind of fall into that trap where we do get critical or judgmental at some of the choices that people make or use or do in their homestead. And so I think it's always important to remember we're just here to encourage one another and to take the things that will work for us and will help us and focus on that. Which I know that if you sign up for the summit and if you're listening to the Pioneering Today podcast, 
you are a helpful person and this probably doesn't apply to you. But every now and then, probably more than I'd like to admit if I'm being honest, sometimes I'll find myself being a little bit critical or judgmental. Oftentimes it's more on myself, truthfully, than it is other people. Kind of like with home dairy. I don't have a home dairy. I've never had a milk animal. And shouldn't a real bona fide homesteader have their own milk source? I mean, that's kind of what I thought to myself and in my head. And that's just silly. And I know that. But sometimes we think things or feel things that we know aren't true. And so I think giving ourselves grace is as just as important. So I want to thank you for spending time with me here today on the podcast. And next week, we will be having another one of our presenters back here for this series. And we are going to be talking about fermentation. And it is a fabulous, fabulous episode. You're not going to want to miss it. Okay, bye for now.